Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to The Sigma Show, episode 79. I am your host, Sigma. Just before I let you know who's joining me today, real quick, we'll go over what our topics shall be. Uh, first up, um, I, honestly, this is a Vanity Fair article that had a lot of other information in it. Um, but the, the thing that our industry kind of took the most uh, from was the fact that uh, in the new Obi-Wan series, Darth Vader's voice was apparently completely AI generated. Like they kind of created James Earl Jones' iconic Darth Vader voice for that show using computers. And um, that kind of that kind of sounds a little ominous in terms of like creating art in the future, especially with all the AI art conversations that have been going on around. So we're we're gonna dive into kind of more about that actual article as well as this aspect of it as well. Um, and our bigger topic or our final topic will be uh, about video game Donkey, the famous YouTuber, long standing uh, channel, over seven million uh, followers on his channel, is creating a new publisher label called Big Mode Games, where he's going to a- attempt. To create more of the well, not more of, but try and create other uh, hit AAA esque indie titles, um, and we'll get into kind of some of the meat and potatoes of uh, his presentation and how it was sort of received by the industry, and some of our own thoughts about you know critics and crossing over into game dev. But here to talk to me about these topics today are Rachel Kate. Hello, everyone. As well as Rexicon. Hey, good time of day, everybody. Uh, Lampy's yelling at me that I'm very out of sync. Um, usually. The videos start in Amada Sync, and then it kind of catches up. Like, I'll, I'll notice that even in um, the post-recording when I look it over. So I'm just not going to worry about it. Uh, sorry, guys. If I stay out of sync, I'm just... <laughs> if we're <laughs> all out of sync, then that might be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> just don't look directly at the case. Uh, either... You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just don't watch my mouth. That's all. Watch it. Look, look at my eyes. Yeah. Try that. Just zoom in. This will all be on Spotify eventually. So, <laughs> so the, the, the video stuff true. is just, is is just gravy right now for the... For the Twitch chat. Uh, exactly. Um, oh, well, first off, hi, everybody in chat. Thanks so much for popping in uh, right at the start. Usually we, we take a little time to warm up. I see DJ in the chat. I see Lampy in the chat. <coughs> Fast Axe in the chat. Uh, DJ says Rachel went in on some Slime Rancher yesterday. <laughs> yes, I did see you were uh, streaming some Slime Rancher. And we'll we'll use that to segue right into our, you know, our opening salvo, which is what you've been playing slash watching. Rachel. Well, I think you know what I've been playing now. <laughs> kind of the cats out of the bag. <laughs> but the slimes out yes, of the ranch. Yes, well, literally in this case, because you leave the ranch in Slime Rancher to go to a whole new location, which conveniently. So it's not actually. It's not a ranch? actually. No, it's a conservatory now. We're getting the whole clue map out. But wow. yeah, it's a it's it's a new island called Rainbow Island where you are now, where you can uh, find new kinds of slimes and harvest their leavings for money. And it's... What, what do slimes leave? I'm not familiar with, like, the slime... Uh, so allergies. you feed slimes food, like fruits, vegetables, or sometimes even chicken, mm-hmm. and they poop out little gems that you harvest, and then you can sell. And it, it's got... There's actually kind of, like, a little underline of, like, sati- sat- satire of capitalism... Because you, you can actually... Yeah, if you're mining gems, then yeah. <laughs> well, you can go in the, <laughs> like, um, the, the, like, the flavor text and see, like, they say for every single kind of plort, like for uh, honey plorts or something, apparently it's completely replaced the sugar industry back in the settled parts of the galaxy. And, um, yeah, wow. just, uh, th- there's, like, a little whole, there's whole flavor text where they're, like, talking about different forms of, like, different ways that these slimes are exploited for money 
And I mean, it's not present anywhere else in the game, but it's just it just occasionally comes huh. up in in the background text. It's I, which I find cute. So, so the tone is that the character you play is not like that they're mistreating the no. slimes or whatnot, but they are they're in it for the money. Oh yeah, definitely. Like but yeah, gotcha. but in this case, we've got so before we have you know like cat slimes and rock slimes and uh, honey slimes, and now we've got like bunny slimes and butterfly slimes, bat slimes, anglerfish slimes. So we've really we've really gone off the chain here in design terms. But I like it. I mean, slime rancher never needs to be anything other than absolutely adorable, and that's what this is. Okay, nice. So yeah, I. I put in some hours with that listening. Yeah, anything else you've been? Yeah, anything else you've been uh, playing or watching? Uh, I finally went back and finished the Castlevania Netflix series at Ooh, at my oh, husband's nice. insistence. I I also agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great. How, oh no, I loved it. I'd always meant to finish it, but it was one of those things that I never I never got around to, and now I've got somebody to uh, to to basically like nag me until i get around until i go back and finish it <laughs> so i still haven't watched andor yet though i still need to catch up on that i'm so behind right now did did that not just it did out? yeah but i'm still not caught up on it oh, yeah okay <laughs> so i, I mean fine. you you got you with, got with my background i feel like i should be like uh like on top of all the star wars stuff but right now i but i'm just a little bit behind it's i, th- I think the star wars fans will forgive yeah. you and then we asked the Star Wars fans, and they they, they shake their head like, no, we like, no we're mad at you. No. <laughs> I did find – I also um, tried to finish Immortality, the Sam Barlow game that uh, yeah. was – I don't know if I talked about this last time, but I tried finishing it. I, I played a little bit of it. I got bored with it. And then when I tried to finish it, um, I finished it, but then it glitched out, so I didn't uh-huh. get the achievement for finishing it. And I was Aww. just like – I was you know, just sitting there with my, because I was playing it with a controller, so I was just sitting there with my controller, like, just the yeah. the blankest stare of utter disappointment on my <laughs> face, so I'm told. Like, I, I, I had to review Immortality, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of, I was the outlier review in that I kind of didn't get the experience that I think it intended, mm-hmm. and it was not partly because of a glitch, because at the end, I also did get a glitch where it... It was running credits, but it was freeze framed on like yes. a particular. Yes, image. I got that too. That's the yeah, same thing you that got? was exactly what I okay. got. But the thing is, I did get credit, I guess, for for completing mm-hmm. the game. But also, there's like way more in that game. Mm-hmm. Like you, it, it'll run those credits, but like you actually don't have the ending. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. There's still there's and and that the end the credits unlock like, early. Sorry, go ahead. Ow. No, no, no. Continue, because that's such a problem getting at the yeah, same thing. Yeah, just that the credits unlock after you finish like a certain in-game event, but like you can still like go mm-hmm. back and like get the whole story. Although, to be honest, I kind of got bored with it. I mean, I won't spoil it, no, but let's just same, say I same. thought the horror was going one particular direction, and then it kind of like did like a weird U-turn and went in a completely different genre, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm bored now. No, I, I 100% agree. I'm so glad somebody else <laughs> came to this conclusion. Because I'm looking at 10 out of 10 reviews everywhere else. Like, okay, did I really miss something? Because I got to the point where I'm like, I know that there's more to this. But the fact that it took this long for them to reveal that, hey, credits, quote unquote. But then go back and play like maybe another 5 to 10 hours mm-hmm. possibly to get the full story. I was like, no, I'm 
uninterested yeah. at this point. Like for me to get credits after this much time and to to still not have any idea what's going on, that's yeah. Bad. That's how I feel. Yeah, it's it's I I liked her story, the 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 first Sam Barlow mm-hmm. game I played, and I, I haven't played any of his other games, which is um, I tried the one after that, uh, Telling okay. Lies, and I did like that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I'm i not saying Sam Barlow is, you know, I, I he's good at what he does, which is basically this. I think it was just the content and the story this time that kind of, it wasn't the, the, the funky mechanics this time. I think it was more the content and the story that kind of lost mm-hmm. me. And, I, and I, I think that's fair. I absolutely agree with anyway, you. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> Okay. Um, how about you, Jesse? You got anything you want to share? Uh, I was at the airport, so I brought my Switch, and I got to play Monster Hunter Rise that I haven't played in a long time. I <laughs> good game that is. I, I missed that game. It's I know. Like, I haven't played it in a long time, and I was like, oh, let me play it. God, it's really fun. I, re- <laughs> I wish I played it more. Uh, We've both been harvesting you, uh, video get- game things for parts. <laughs> and I'm usually not a fan of that, but the... It's a fun, the way the rest of the, like the combat and everything is done, and especially with the insect glaive, which I'm just super loving as like a jump around weapon, um, that like, it's a good downtime, like sweet. It's like the board game part of a Mario party. It's like, it's not my favorite part, but I need downtime between the mini games and it services that need well. Mm-hmm. And you can get cool fashion and weapons during it. So like, of course I'm interested, like. Show me a new helmet, right? Yeah, which is actually a hat. And the fact that everything feeds everything else, like oh, because you want this fashionable item to match the mm-hmm. rest of your set, that requires you to go kill a bunch of monsters. But then that ends up being fun right. too. So like you're having fun doing that, and then ugh, I, I, yeah. I love it so much. Are, are you interested at all in getting the expansion Sunbreak? Uh, I don't play the the base game uh, enough <laughs> to justify that purchase. So unfortunately, probably not. I, that makes sense. Cause like, cause if you if you are really into it, like Sunbreak is just more in like the best way possible. Like they they take out anything that was slowing you down from having fun and like double down on everything that was fun. And like I, I've been playing the PC version because I had to review it on there. But I went try to go back to Switch, and because I need to grind all the way back to get to uh, the Sunbreak yeah. content, like it, it's putting me off on, you know, just walking around with my Switch and doing mm-hmm. it over. But I'm probably gonna do it eventually anyway, because <laughs> I I, re- I really just want to walk around. Uh, with my Switch to play Monster Hunter Rise when I can. <laughs> That's how much fun I was having. Watch where you're going. <laughs> uh, and I also, on Thursday, I played Sea of Thieves, which I actually had a really good time right, with. yes. That's so interesting, because we, we very famously played it for a game night. Multiple. And kind of trolled Nick the entire time. Yeah, multiple game nights. And kept trolling Nick the entire time. Because no one was actually having fun with it. We were having fun streaming yeah. it, for sure. We were not having fun with the actual game. So I'm very curious, like, what, what kind of changed in your interaction well, my, this time? My friend, uh, RGB Blight, who streams with me on, on Thursdays, uh, convinced me and was like, look, I, wa- I wanted to play it. I got into it a little bit. And, like, I watched your playthroughs and, like, you're playing it wrong. Like, not you're playing it wrong, but, like, the attitude in which you all had going into it and, like, trying to do the missions mm-hmm. and stuff. He's like, no, forget all that. You just pick a direction, you go, you goof around, you find something cool, you die, you live, it doesn't matter, you just have fun. And it's like, all right, fine, we do that. So we did that, and we found, like, a 
They were like, there's a light in the distance. What is that? I don't know. Let's go. We went. It was a mermaid cave with a puzzle. We solved the puzzle. It was actually pretty fun. We got a bunch of loot for it. Cool. Like, we went and uh, raided another area with, like, ghost ghosts that came in, and we got their treasure. We got murdered by a passing ship very quickly. <laughs> we're just like, oh, hey, here's a ship. few cannons, and we're dead. Like, it was... We didn't do any of the story stuff. It was just like, just going around, having fun, finding stuff to do. And that actually was pretty doggone fun. Huh. Uh, Lampy, as you did also murderize a <laughs> ship. Did we murderize a ship? I don't remember if we sank one. <laughs> oh, we did. Did we? I don't remember. We did storm a base with the ghosts and some islands and stuff. But like, we got murderized pretty hard. Like, um, I, I didn't know ships could sink that fast. <laughs> That's how fast we got sunk. Apparently, we also sunk a ship. I don't recall this, but I, I believe it did happen. Uh, and I also been playing. Okay. Um, oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was, uh, allowing oh, okay. you to continue. I also been playing Arcade Paradise. I don't remember if I played that last time I was on the show or not. Uh, Doesn't okay, and I here. that's probably going to be my pick for hidden gems tomorrow. Okay, well, well, can you tell me a little bit about it now? Sure. You want it to be a It's secret? an awful uh, pitch that I am going to tell you. But <laughs> Okay. You, now I'm going to hear this. Yeah, your dad owns a laundromat, and it's your job to run the laundromat. That is, so it's a micromanaging game. You have to pick up trash. You have to like uh, empty the hoppers. You have to do laundry that people leave in for full service. Mm-hmm. Sounds awful. There's an arcade. You find arcade cabinets in the back of the laundromat. And you. the story is like you message your dad like, hey, these have money in them. Like people are, are actually using these. They're making more than the laundromat. And he's like, no, games are stupid. Uh, you know, you're just a kid. Focus on the laundromat. He's like a serial entrepreneur, just owns a bunch of businesses. This is one that he's apparently forgotten about. And he just wants you to right. run it to learn some shit. And... Uh, but you're like, no, I can, this can be more profitable. And all of the arcade games are actual little mini games that you can go to the cabinet and play. And there's like one that's like basically Pat, Pac-Man with a GTA. So like you're a car running from the cops, which are the ghosts, picking up money. Okay. And then if you get hit by a cop, you can run to a new car. Uh, there's like okay, just a bunch of little. So so these are so these are all like original arcade games, but just kind of loosely based right. on stuff that you would recognize. Exactly. Okay, and then you as you get more money from the arcade machines and the uh, the laundromat, you could buy more arcade machines, and then you put them in the back, and then you have more games to play, and then uh, like you end up expanding the back of the arcade, fill more games. So it's a whole thing about that, and it is. I don't like micromanaging games. I am having a good old time with it. Yeah, the premise sounds really cool. Like how, especially how they kind of put a little meta story in it. How like you're defying your father. (laughs) 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 Like, oh, I'm going to expand on this idea and less on his idea of what he wants. Like that's that's just really interesting. And like you actually expand the back to make it to make room for more arcades, which is against. Like you don't tell your dad you're doing that, and you have to get your sister, who's like a city planner, to do that for you. It's it's pretty cool. I'm actually I quite enjoyed it while I played it. Nice. Oh, did that do I it for think you so. in terms of playing and 
watch it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I haven't really been able to play a ton still. Um, I, I have been trying to work on reviews here and there. Um, I just had a 3 mark go up for a game called There Is No Light. Uh, kind of like very under the radar. Like I, I, don't, I hadn't heard about it at all. I don't think anyone was, was checking for it. But it's it's a really pretty looking pixel art action adventure game. Like it's top down. Um, you dash around a bunch. You swing your sword really fast. Like it's it's really action heavy. Like it has re- like really cool looking graphics and abilities and stuff tied to it. And like it's it's the kind of thing that's right up my alley, except for the fact that it kind of feels like trash. <laughs> Like it's it's really disappointing in that regard because like it, it has like you know expansive skill trees it has like a really rich lore and history in its world like everything like it's like the the premise is uh, apparently humanity has lived underground for like hundreds of years now like they don't remember what the sky looks like or like what people did on the surface when it was on the surface but like this sort of religious entity is at the is like at the top of their leadership um, and the Church of the Hand as they call it essentially tells them um, they're safe underground and they're protecting them from the creatures who are on the surface. Um, and also to pay homage to this uh, church, um, every couple of years or so, they just take all the newborn infants. They just take them. And uh, <laughs> and wow. people are, most of the people who like believe in the church are kind of happy about this. They're like, oh, it's a great honor. It's a great honor. But you and, you know, your tribe apparently like kind of left like, you kind of off to the side somewhere underground, like, away from the church because you didn't really like that stuff. But the church came and found you guys. They basically destroyed your village. They took your baby and left pretty much everybody else for dead. So you, as a vengeful father, um, get killed in trying to stop this from happening. But are resurrected by this weird shadow ghost man. And he uh, trains you for a year, he says, and then unleashes you back upon the church to Kyan to find out how to get your your kid back. And of course, he has ulterior motives because he's very negative. Like he's he's like a little butterfly creature that buzzes in your ear and will encourage you to do violence and harm to people even if they don't deserve it. And uh, some of the gameplay aspects allow you to choose between um, kind of encouraging people you're having conversations with or demoralizing them. Like you can like they'll ask you like, oh, I my kids are sick. But the only way I can get medicine is to steal from this guy. Should I do that for my kids? And you can be like, nah, like leave your kids to die. Or you can be like, yeah, go ahead. It's worth it. And like that will demoralize or, you know, encourage that person to do one of those two things. And that affects your personal karma, which has an effect on like how other events or factions play out to you. So like it's a very interesting world and system. Like I was really into all of that stuff. But combat just felt so tedious. Like I mentioned it in my review, but pressing the attack button um, would only give me like a couple swings of my sword even if i was pressing it the number of times of the combo like if the combo was like four four hits i press it two times and only i press it uh four times and only get two hits to come out mm. so for some reason if i press the button many more times than the number of swings of the sword then i could get the full combo and that's the same for like almost every other move because every move or special ability requires like multiple button presses to activate like there's a teleport dash where if i dash i have to then dash after but then that dash has to be on a an enemy's attack for me to get the thing to pop so in order to make sure that i'm dashing right when an enemy is attacking me i have to dash and then mash the dash button as i'm going towards an enemy's attack so i'm mashing the attack button and then i'm mashing the dash button and mashing the attack button mashing the dash button the fights look cool but they feel like garbage 
Like I feel like I'm pressing just straight up nonsense uh, the whole the whole way through, and it's tiring and it's exhausting, and like it's a really tough and and and, and hard game. So the fact that I have to to be that dexterous for every single fight just really just really wore me out. So like I, I wasn't having any fun in terms of actual combat, mm-hmm. and so I, I ended up just not enjoying it overall, even though I had such a, a rich world, which which sucks. But um, it's based in terms of. Satan, oh, so that's basically how I play how I play uh games that are designed to do well, like Dark Souls, like hit hit dash once, but it's like I'm gonna keep hitting it because I really want to do it again. <laughs> like as, as soon as humanly possible, I want this mm-hmm. to occur, so I'm gonna just hit it again. But I I really appreciate a game that is like very responsive or uh or sticks to its combat rhythm so that like if I can match that rhythm, then that means I can do well. But like this just felt like chaos in terms of just gameplay translating over to uh, what I've seen yeah. on the screen. Uh, but in terms of like what I've been watching, I finally started uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners. I'm only on like episode four. Oh, you're further but, than um, me. Oh, am I? <laughs> so I won't, I won't spoil anything because I, mean, I like, but like overall, like it's a lot more calm than I thought it would be for a trigger anime, at least so far. Like maybe it's gonna ramp up and get more wild, but um. I don't hate that. Like it's it's kind of downbeat right now. It's kind of somber, um, but there's like little flashes of like the craziness that you can expect from both the cyberpunk world and from uh, Trigger as an anime house. Um, but I'm enjoying it. Like the story so far is actually really good, and it's a better story than the one in Cyberpunk, at least for your for your character that you're following. Because I I found V's story to be I found V as a character to be insufferable. <laughs> Like, other people's stories, like, the people V would talk to and stuff they were going through was a lot more interesting. But, like, V's path through Night City was was very annoying yeah, to me. Yeah, but With you. you okay, everybody's doing the same way. But, I we're mean, in sync today, is, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but the anime is shoveling or funneling a bunch of people back towards the game. Like, I know Jeff has been playing it. I know Blue's been playing it. Um, And it's it's, like... Top of the Steam charts again, thanks to the anime. Like, I, I don't... Has that been a thing that's ever happened? Where yeah, the, a TV show or anime has kind of saved a fledgling video game experience? I don't know about saved. Uh, I know The Witcher uh, got... Yeah, yeah like, Witcher got a boost, but, you know, people already love mm-hmm. that game, you know? Like, Cyberpunk was kind of in the dumps, like... <laughs> And yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, if it di- if it isn't rewriting the game, I don't see what good the anime is going to do. At least, at least in my estimation, other people can have different, obviously, different opinions about it. But I'm not. I, I don't think I want to subject myself to cyberpunk again just because they put out a cool anime. And I think part of it is like when when you played it the first time, you finished it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like same. Like I, I kind of played it in that opening window like i think a lot of people who were put off by it just stopped and so this is giving them a reason to go back and try to finish and like now they're having a better time because a lot of the game just works mm-hmm. that, that's fair but even yeah but even still like i still found it to be a generally okay experience like nothing special or mind-blowing like how it was kind of uh propped up yeah. to be but um that's me i i know i can be a little uh harsh <laughs> in terms of uh like my my takes on what i want out of a video game uh but um but that's pretty much it in terms of what i've been watching yeah it just felt were you gonna add it, sorry go ahead jesse oh i was gonna say uh deep's pointing out that there's gonna be some new dlc for cyberpunk coming out soon too and that yes, might be some people hyped for it that uh, that's fair it's 
I don't know, it, the whole thing. Well, I mean, I was there for the whole like pre-release like marketing blitz that because that that was a whole disaster for cyberpunk it's like you were i mean all the things that they were promising cyberpunk was going to do no really we swear um remember when they were saying something like the clothes you wore were going to make a difference like there was going to be like a proper like whole fashion system as well that wasn't in the final game you were going to be able to romance a whole bunch of different people you've got four options i mean two realistically depending on your gender and Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and in my mind, at least for the story, the whole like transhumanism thing, it didn't do anything that Deus Ex didn't do before it. So yeah, I, I agree. Like it, it really kind of dropped the ball on a lot of the larger themes of just cyberpunk worlds in general. Mm-hmm. Like all, the, all they had were like tiny vignettes that were like maybe tiny windows uh, of interest. Like, uh, like I really loved like that whole sentient AI taxi service mission. Like that was an early mm-hmm. one that like really really starts to open up like okay this is a cyberpunk world this is kind of stuff that can happen and the ramifications of it on a larger scale but after that mission that was kind of it like it you don't really deal with that sort of thing from that point forward right and that's kind of disappointing yeah and it's one of the like they're trying I, I can't believe how much they tried to save based on the star power of Keanu Reeves I like Keanu Reeves I would die for Keanu Reeves I'm not going mean, to I'm like not going to sit through an 80 hour <laughs> video game just because they got Keanu Reeves to drone a couple of lines into a microphone for an afternoon. <laughs> I love the man, but that was not his best work. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, 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 I was more a fan of that performance than I think others. Like I kind of liked his Johnny. That's fair. In yeah. the game. Like I thought it did add to uh, the experience for me, but um, yeah, I, I like, yeah, I, I wasn't playing it or enjoyed it because of Keanu Reeves for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I I just yeah, it, it it would have to there would have to be a lot either change. Like, to be fair, I could Keanu Reeves is the one thing I would like going back. Like I, I'll take that. That's not like a huge deterrent for me as the story and um, lack of basically any kind of meaningful internal innovation or systems. That's that that's the one thing that would not deter me if I went back. Makes sense. Uh, Lampy says. I feel like Edge Runners is a good anime in spite of CD Projekt Red. It's good because of everyone else working on it and not because of their world. Uh, but, I mean, it's technically not even their world, no. right? Like, like, the cyberpunk universe is somebody else's world. Like, uh, Night City is Night City an original creation from CD Projekt I don't Red? think so, no. No. And no, Johnny okay, so, yeah. isn't either. He's also in the yes. TTRP. Oh, so, so yeah. even that much. Yeah, so, okay. So, All the cool stuff's from yes. the board game. <laughs> <laughs> right, so like, yeah, the TTRPG. Have, and clearly cyberpunk, yeah. yeah. So clearly cyberpunk as a entity and as a world has been popular, which is why it even got optioned as a video game in the first place. So yeah, just adapting that again, it makes sense that that would also you know be of quality uh, if you put it in the right hands, like Studio Trigger. Uh, but that's pretty much it for me. We can get right to our first topic if everyone's ready. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yep. So. This, this Vanity Fair article, it was not actually about the fact that Darth Vader's voice um, is AI-generated in the Obi-Wan show. It was actually about the fact that this Ukrainian uh, studio that made the project had to do so under the, the duress of war. Like, the Russian invasion was happening as they were working on this project for Disney. And they decided to kind of stay where they were. Wow. Um, and, you know, take shelter where they could. And continue this project 
for Disney, which kind of opens up a whole other can of worms for discussion. Like, this was something that they chose yeah. to do, yes, but like, why did you choose to do this? Like, I like maybe they felt like it was something that was necessary for their own livelihood. Like, this is, I'm, I'm sure to them, like, this is a big project. Mm-hmm. Disney's asking us to do this work for them. Like, it was probably like in their minds, life and death, but they're literally doing it amidst war. I. So it was life or death. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, I will say, like, I think the Ukrainian people are just that. There are a lot of people who have continued to do like, like the stalker devs. Like they're still like they're right, still working right. on the game, and it's almost a point of pride for them. That from what I can tell from like following them on Twitter and seeing what they've put on YouTube, it's almost a point of pride for them that they're fighting this you know, incredible conflict. And they're also putting out a quality product at the same time. It's delayed, but they're, they're very pleased about the fact that development has not stopped. So I kind of wonder if maybe that is a little bit playing into it mm-hmm. is that, I mean, I'm not denying that, you know, there's like some pressure because it's Disney, but I feel like the attitude might just be sort of like, there's a war on, should we stop? No, we are going to deliver a good product for Disney. Like it's, like I'm, I really feel of two minds about that concept, because like I know from I know personally I'm a bit of an overworker myself. It's like I shouldn't be putting in all this time and energy, uh, to do these jobs. But like I, I am, I do feel I'm passionate about the work I do. Therefore, like I'll go the extra mile to do stuff, even when it's not appreciated all the time. Like, like there was a, a Disney rep in the article who was basically quoted as saying like, "Oh, we appreciated what they did." But of course, we didn't. We didn't put the pressure on them that they had to do it because they could have found other people to do the thing. But then they threw the little caveat like, "Well, it might not have been as good as what they gave us." But that just sounded like politics to me. <laughs> like, it was like, "Oh, like we like, oh, you wouldn't force them. We could have just got it from somewhere else." Which seems right. like mm-hmm. kind of like throwing it in the face that like y'all didn't need to risk your lives for this. Like we could have just, but you know, we'll take it. Like thanks anyway. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it, it just rubs me uh, the wrong way in that regard. Um, but, they, I mean, it was their decision. They decided to go ahead and do it. And they did deliver a product that, honestly, was indistinguishable. Like, Darth Vader is kind of a robotic character anyway, mm-hmm. right? Like, his voice is modulated based on his actual lore. But I couldn't tell that that wasn't someone... I, I, I wasn't sure that it was James Earl Jones himself, but I couldn't tell that it wasn't someone doing a great James Earl Jer- Jones impression. Right? It didn't sound like a machine. It sounded like a performance from that mm-hmm. character. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if you have a situation like this where an AI is used for whatever reason, the, the studios prefer it, like the, the actor who did it maybe got in trouble or got fired or, or died or something. If the performance thereafter is indistinguishable from a human doing the job, is that a bad thing? Like, should that be something that's kind of looked down on? Okay, Jesse is nodding. Uh, let, let me know. What are your thoughts? Are you you also look like you want to say something, Kate? No, you you go first, Jesse. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, it's a great way to to not pay actors. Like, it's a fantastic way to not have to to get someone to do a performance once, do an iconic job, and rather than having a situation like James Earl Jones or so many other people where it's like, oh, you can build a career as this, you can build off of this, you can get more work, you know, you can make royalties. No, they could just completely wholesale rip you off, never have to pay you a dime, get tons more profits for it. And it's also a great way to create a, a stagnant 
you know, spot in media where it's like, well, why would we ever have a new villain when we can just constantly churn out the old one? Like part of what makes storytelling in the, the linear fashion that, you know, we live our lives as humans. Interesting is how things change and adapt, how, you know, you, when you have something like, uh, movies, you cannot have the same thing over and over. Like if you've got, uh, uh, like Marvel stuff happening, you do have to recast Captain America at some point. Like Chris Evans can't literally do it forever in the comics. Yeah. You can do that. And I personally don't like that. I think it also creates stagnant media. Um, but then in, you know, when you have human performers, you do have to bring new things in. Someone has to bring their own take into it. Someone has to bring their own ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many things have to change and usually at least trying to be in a good way. Um, versus this where, hey, we know what people like and we could just regurgitate this and change enough of it to make it work. Right. I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Rachel, did you have a, a counter to that? I, or were you in, in the I, no, I think I, I don't I don't completely agree. I think that's catastrophizing it to a certain degree. That's and fair. which is which is fine because I mean it's best that we consider like what the worst case scenario is. But I think it's more of like a specific instance of this because I mean Lampy just just said what I was going to. It's like first of all, um, a voice and a face, uh, an actor's person are protected so if you actually so if they were actually going to like steal your likeness in some way they would have to pay you for it or you would have to sign that away for starters yeah and james Earl jones did agree yeah and also i've seen obi-wan i disagree that i mean i also knew that it was computer generated but i before ahead of time but i i i will say that i don't think the performance was necessarily that indistinct I I I, I, okay. I could tell that it was like it's 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 a little flatter I think than James Earl Jones himself would have been, but also I think part of it is it's a very specific use case for this because James Earl Jones first of all if you I mean the best way let me start again the best way to demonstrate that James Earl Jones doesn't sound like he used to is if you watch Lion King the animated and Lion King the other animated films just you know if you if you listen to the two versions of mufasa james earl jones in his elderly james earl jones sounds much different than he did in the 90s and he sounds way different now now so it's impossible for even him to maintain that darth vader voice he doesn't sound like that anymore and this is a Mm -hmm. very specific kind of character voice if you were to hear anybody else do I mean I'm sure they could get a good James Earl Jones impersonator if they really wanted to, but I think as part of it is also that Obi Wan was very much a nostalgia project. It was bringing back all the like so many so many things from the the older movies because you know for the specific purposes of being like hey this is like we're we're paying homage to like the the, the generation that came before and we're also like talking about the generation that's going to come next. I think that was the whole like Reva storyline as well. But mm-hmm. anyway, I, I think this is a very specific case where this happened, and I really don't think we're getting into a whole like, oh, we're going to replace voice actors with you know AIs that sound exactly like them and are just as good. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think it's like the same sentiment with like the AI art thing. It's like you've got to have someone there who's telling the AI what to make. Just you know, to me, just because they don't put brush to paper doesn't mean a human didn't still create this. So. 
No, I, I think that's a really good point as well. And as as kind of a devil's advocate and also as like a, a bridge between these two um, points, like I, I understand the whole concept of an actor doing a job and then kind of being pushed out of that job for machines to take over. Like on the one hand, it's like, okay, maybe that actor is out of work or maybe they signed a bad deal. And so like, they're not, you know, getting paid for like the use of their likeness or their character that they helped create or whatnot. But on the flip side, like we heard with this Ukraine story, uh, there are people who are behind the machine. Like they have to actually do the work in coding and programming to make that work. And that's their livelihood. Right. So like maybe one person, an actor isn't getting uh, money or residuals for continuously redoing this role, but there is a team now of people who are. Like that, that kind of just speaks to like maybe the future and like how me, just media in general is changing. Like they don't they don't appreciate like the the actual artist or creator as much as they do the product, which overall is kind of a bad thing. But I, I don't think that's gonna disqualify like smaller entities or startups from doing it the way that they because that's kind of what the internet has become anyway like everything is like so tailor-made and microcosmed out to fit specific audiences the stuff that's going to be made for like the biggest audiences is probably going to be computer generated stuff it's probably going to be stuff that um they need to recall like the exact sound and look of characters from 70 years ago because those characters because those kids are now adults Probably not 70, 70 is too many years, but those kids are now adults and they, they want to basically hit on that to make money. And, you know, it's a big audience because not everybody cares about, you know, the auteurness of art. They just want to see like a big explosion and, you know, a transformer roll on the ground with another transformer or something like that. I, I don't know. I would have th- I actually don't think this is in any way. I mean, I think this is actually a, a giant tribute to one particular artist, in this case, James Earl Jones. This is saying, I mean, to me, like I, like you said, they probably... I will say they paid a studio in Ukraine, probably not an insignificant amount of money to recreate his voice when they could have hired um, a sound alike jobbing voice actor for a song. But they're saying that this this mm-hmm. voice and this role is so iconically this one person's that we do not want to do it without him, especially in a, a, a nostalgia based in a, in a show that is primarily about tweaking that nostalgia part of the brain. So... I don't necessarily see it as, you know, like, oh, voice actors, who needs the who needs them? Who needs actors? I don't necessarily see it that way. And maybe maybe that makes me naive, but I I, I see it instead as I mean it's for the same reason they brought back Hayden Christensen. They could have put anybody into that Darth Vader suit because for the vast majority of the show, you don't see him. But they brought Hayden Christensen back, put him in the suit, and had him be there on set because this is a giant tribute to what is now kind of like the second age of star Wars. So no, that, 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 that's a really good point. But then that also does create a little bit more cynicism in me. in the fact that it's like, on one hand, you can consider it a tribute, but on the other hand, it's the nostalgia bait, right? Like if they did put someone else in a suit or did get someone else to do the voice, the fan base would not stand for it. They would have trashed it before they even saw it, right? Because they're like, this isn't my Star Wars. This is some newfangled Star Wars that you're trying to, to sell to me. So, like, it had to be that level of dedication to James Earl Jones' voice because getting James Earl Jones at that time wasn't possible, <laughs> right? So, like, they were like, all right, well, this is, this is the best we can do. Spend the money because the fans won't have it any other way. 
Like, we, we got to get Hayden Christensen, even though you don't see him for most of the show. But we got to get him. We got to make sure you know that we got him in interviews and press coverage and whatnot so that the fans don't boycott the show before they even get a chance. Yeah, but is that really the studio's fault? No, that's not. Yeah, that's not the studio's fault. But I mean, is it the studio's fault? I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think that there is a, you know, you could in in future when Hayden Christensen, when it's no longer physically feasible for Hayden Christensen to do the role, I think you could make, you know, you could put Anakin into, not Darth Vader necessarily, but you could put, mm-hmm. uh, hell, even Darth Vader, you could put Anakin Skywalker in played by somebody else. I will say Hayden Christensen is in this for nostalgia, but I'm not saying that he's so necessary to the role. Like you don't need, like anybody can play Hamlet. So I really, I really think that in this case, it's more of a, it's a specifically nostalgia-based product, and the voice of Darth Vader is so distinctive that not even James Earl Jones himself can do it anymore. So I, I, I do think that it's, it's um, that saying that in the future we're going to like keep regurgitating these certain actors' like voices and appearances, and we're never going to. We're, we're never going to refresh. We're never going to give new actors a chance. Uh, we're never going. We're going to replace them to a certain degree. I really do think this is catastrophizing a little bit, and I, 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 mm-hmm. I appreciate looking at worst case scenario, but I think it's a little bit. It it, it feels almost a little bit like. Um, I mean, no offense by this. You're looking for a reason to be upset about this. And meanwhile, I'm just like, James no, that, Earl that Jones! No, that I'm, I'm over here like, <laughs> it sounds like Darth Vader, it's James Earl Jones, yay! And, you know, for whatever reason, even, even if the man himself is is now now can't make that voice, I'm still just happy it's there. So I, I, I really don't, I, I don't mean any offense by it, but I'm just saying that's that's kind of what mm-hmm. it feels like to me. I'll, th- that is a worst case scenario, but I did not say we'll never get anything new or that nothing new will come apart. That yet, but if you, it's a look at what we're doing right now in the industry and just applying this new technology to it. How much new sci fi stuff has come out in the last couple of years? And how much of it is Star and, Wars? I knew you mean like based on nothing else that existed originally. Right. So much of probably like zero. Yeah. Honestly. So much of what's <laughs> happening right now is sequels, reboots, and has been for a long time. This is not a brand new issue uh and that Mm. this is a way to further that like it's not new stuff has come out i love dark matter what a great sci-fi show that came out and it's fantastic but it is overshadowed by the sheer amount of stuff that is being redone and has already established roots uh so yeah not it's not that nothing new will come out but that it is a further expansion of what is already happening now and has been happening for decades. That's fair. And also, I mean, it is kind of cool that uh, uh, you can make a computerized voice that does sound a lot like somebody. I mean, that is super fascinating. What an outstanding thing to be able to see in our lifetime. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's impressive tech. The, but yeah, like... I get what Rich was saying. It's like it's it's not that bad, guys. Everybody, everybody, calm down. <laughs> it's, uh, but also they're taking our jobs. Yeah, I uh, I, I can thing, see okay, that. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I'm just conceding. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's a, a thing where you're saying taking jobs, but that's uh, also an issue where it's like the voice of Darth Vader. 
uh, is James Earl Jones. You apply that to him. Who did all of the work to make this possible? Give me one name of the team of people that made this possible. Uh, I mean, it's in that article. <laughs> but you don't know it. Like, that, yeah, I, I don't know it's, it. Yeah. It's removing uh, the art, the artists who made this from the equation. The product is what's cool, what sells, what moves forward. And, the, and when someone else does it, it is it going to be the same people? Maybe not. Like, if you change James Earl Jones's voice, then it's like, oh, this matters. But are you? Are we even going to know if someone else does this for season two or the next project or whatever? Like, it is removing that's a, no, that's an interesting point. That like, yeah, they got a paycheck for it, but like, they can't build <laughs> off of it like James Earl Jones did as Darth Vader. If I might offer another counterpoint, real quick. Oh sure. Uh-huh. Just that um, you know. In terms of like reinterpreting science fiction products for a new audience, I do think that you know we've um, you know we've got Star Wars on the one hand, but you know if you look over at Star Trek right now, we've got this whole series where we're bringing back the original the original series cast, but not the with not with the cast members. So it's the same characters. So you've got uh, Kirk and Spock and all that, but they're not played by stand-in actors with CGI faces and. Um, but, you know, computer-generated Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner voices, even though I think that could have been done. But they, you know, at the same time, you know, they're, you know, off, they're new actors offering new interpretations of the characters. So I, I, think there's a, I think there's a place for both. I really think this was just a very particular instance of wanting to preserve a very specific sound. And mm-hmm. I do, and by the way, the company's name is Respeecher. <laughs> <laughs> just throw just throwing that out there but yeah it's i i just want to put out there that you know we are we are not that we are doing both in this case and in mm-hmm. and we are off we are offering new actors a chance to reinterpret old characters and we're also keeping an existing an, an existing voice intact so it's not all one or the other yeah and, and disney specifically have have been trying both as well like they, like there was Solo where they cast somebody new to do Han Solo. There was uh, also Solo <laughs> where they had uh, Donald Glover play uh, Billy D. Williams as a young younger character and whatnot. Um, they, but like yeah, it, it's it's like once you get closer to the, those super iconic like original Star Wars characters like Mark Hamill, like James Earl Jones, they they seem to kind of seize up and they they don't want to piss off the fan base because I don't, I don't know what's cheaper or easier <laughs> to, to facially reconstruct Mark Hamill and then digitally change his voice. So he sounds younger or to just cast um, what's his name? Bucky Sebastian from, Stan uh, Captain America yeah. series. Yeah. Sebastian Stan. Cause everyone would say like, Oh, he just looks like a young Mark Hamill. Just get that guy. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to see. Uh, and honestly, like, uh, like Rachel was mentioning, it does kind of depend on the audience. Like the audience can sometimes be so insufferable. Like, and Disney just wants to make a buck. They're like, look, if you guys are unhappy, we'll change it. Like, we'll do whatever it is that you're asking us to do. You want you want this to be exactly like it was 30 years ago? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's kind of the attitude they have. So, like, it is kind of on the audience to, like, maybe give give the newer faces and the newer uh, takes and iterations a chance. 
I don't know. I, do I sound like a corporate apologist? No, I sound more like a corporate <laughs> apologist than you do, I think. <laughs> Anarchy. Anarchy. Although I will say that 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 Luke Skywalker is probably a better example of Jesse's point as well, because the mm-hmm. reason they probably didn't hire Sebastian Stan for that role is because his paycheck is his, well, his, um, his fee is a lot bigger now. And they probably thought, Hey, that's too much for like three scenes in the book of Boba Fett. So, or, and one scene at the end of the Mandalorian season two. So let's just, let's just put like some, jobbing actor in there and we'll literally paint Mark Hamill's face over him and we will give him Mark Hamill's youthful voice. So because that's better than trying to find a a young a new a new actor to play younger Luke Skywalker. So I think that is actually a better example of what Jesse what I what I think Jesse is saying that they could use that that it, that it would be easier to do that than it would be to try and offer a younger actor a chance. So it's that example where I can see more what Jesse is saying, or I, I don't mean to take the words out of your mouth, Jesse, but I, I'm saying that I do see your point and I do see a scenario where that, where what you're describing happens. Cause it technically already did happen. <laughs> and, okay. I mean like, it's very, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry Jesse. To, to your point, I, I also think it's not all doom and gloom. There is some cool shit you can do with this <laughs> and that it's not just a guaranteed, well, this is how, uh, everything becomes a monopoly and none of us get paid and everything. So yeah, I I think that duality is important and that to to look at it completely one-sided is indeed like a misinterpretation of it and all the cool stuff you can do. Like, <laughs> progress is neat. You just have to be careful as we progress mm-hmm. and make sure we're guiding ourselves in the right direction. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up that discussion um, and move on to our final topic, uh, Video Game Donkey and his big mode publishing label. Um, are either of you familiar with Video Game mm-hmm. Donkey? Yeah. Okay, Rachel is? Yeah. Yeah? I've seen a couple videos. <laughs> I know the yeah, name. I'm, no, I'm kind of in that camp. Yeah, like I, I, I was not very uh, familiar with Donkey until kind of recently, like maybe a couple months ago. Um, and I can't remember why or when, but someone directed me to go and check out his Halo recaps, which I think were maybe some of the first things he he did on YouTube. And like they were very funny, like even this and like they this, some of the content in them doesn't age well, like <laughs> politically wise, but like they were still very funny to me. Um, so the fact that he's from that long ago continued to kind of have this following and be relevant on YouTube is an accomplishment. Like he's a he's kind of a part of an institution in terms of like YouTube content creators and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But this most recent venture is him essentially saying like he wants to move over from the critical side and become part of the video game making process as a publisher. Um, and in, his, in the video where he um, kind of made his pitch or was announcing his studio or publisher label, I should say, um, he a lot of people took umbrage with the fact that he kind of centered himself in the success of some very high profile indie titles like Celeste, like Hollow Knight, like Hades, and saying that he helped get millions of eyes on them and attention for them by playing them and recognizing that they were quality. I'm not sure how true that is, because I, I I don't follow Dunky like uh you know on a regular basis. But that's but part of his argument is that he is a critic of such um, skill and reverence that he can help upcoming games 
kind of refined their vision to make something that could be on par with some of the greatest indie titles that have come out in the last several years. And I'm very curious to ask other critics what your take is on the idea that as a critic or, and, and Jesse, like, I know you also have uh, dabbled in game design yourself. Like how, like how much do you feel like those skills as a discerning eye for a finished video game product can translate into helping one get to the finish line if you know it's not already complete like because i can tell somebody that this feels good this feels bad but personally i'm like i don't know how you get it to not feel good or to feel bad or whatnot but i don't know like i'm very curious like what you guys think about the possibility of kind of crossing over and the impact of one skill set versus this, this developer one <laughs> sorry hold on no no problem rachel has to sorry a tiny mute i guess <laughs> Oh, thanks. Yeah, what, so what do you got, Jesse? Uh, I mean, that's helpful. Like, b- being familiar with with games is obviously helpful when you're when you're trying to make them enjoyable to other people. Um, I hmm. scrubbed through the video, so I I don't know exactly what he said or or his interpretation. Uh, but just on if you play a lot of games, is that helpful? Absolutely it is. It's it is. Okay. Is it the same as making your own or actually helping a game get produced? Fuck no, it is not. Like as someone who yet does, you know, review stuff and builds their own, there are overlapping skill sets. Absolutely. But if you think you know one because of the other, no. That's showing how much you don't know. So video game critics, I was trying to say, come in when the meal has already been cooked, when the waiter is at the table presenting the plate to the to the consumer, saying, you know, mm-hmm. saying, hope you enjoy your uh, steak tartare. And we're the ones sitting there eating it saying mm, steak tartare could be a little bit better. But mm-hmm. it's meanwhile, we're, you know, publishers come in, they're in the kitchen with the actual chef. So I don't know if like I, I'm going to give Dunkey the benefit of the doubt that he would definitely not start this on just like, hey, I'm a critic. I know what makes games good. I'm going to assume that he knows like this, but publishers do not come in when the whole when the finished product is done. So if he's going to be judging games, uh, he's not going to be judging the finished product. He's going to have to come in much earlier in the process, and it's much harder to judge then if whether or not the finished product is going to be good. Right, like that's what I think the the misconception might be here because, uh, and people who watch Ducky know that he has a very sardonic, sarcastic tone. So, like maybe he did come off as to say, like, you know, it's it's like it is so simple as to oh, since I've reviewed so many games and I I know what quality looks like. I'll be able to help your game and and that kind of be the end all be all. In in the back of his mind, he might know that that's bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like it is kind of presented in that mm-hmm. fashion. But like like you're saying like I, I agree. Like I think it's a very different process to review a finished product and say like, yeah, this didn't work out the way you intended versus being there when they have all the ideas and to tell them, yes, these are all good ideas, and then to put money towards them trying to reach them. And then have to either 
start pulling stuff out because like you're running out of time or the scope was too big and things aren't working or like you're running into problems. Like all of that stuff that gets in the way of the actual idea and the finished product is stuff that a critic doesn't see. Mm-hmm. And so it will be a learning process for him, but I'm just like, cause he can't, a, a publisher can't function under the assumption of, well, if we, even if I'm in the kitchen with you and we we try to get something good and then it comes out after a year of work and just isn't hitting that mark. Well, it's not good enough. We won't release it. Mm-hmm. Like you can't make money that way. <laughs> yeah. So I like, like it's a really interesting situation that he's positioned himself in. I mean, nobody sets out to make a bad game. Nobody, nobody exactly. wants to make a bad game. <laughs> so I think, I, first of all, I don't think donkey was being serious when he, when he, put that out there like you know putting mm-hmm. putting his critic credentials forward as like i know like i'm gonna be a great games publisher because i'm a video game critic i don't think he was being strictly serious about that i think and if he was i would if he was i think i think he would criticize anybody else who said that i think he would take he would burn roast anybody else who said that i think he was just being uh-huh. silly but um to his credit i will say that sometimes i think publishers can try to have you know can try to put their fingers a little too much in the pie with regards to you know development sorry that was a gross metaphor but you knew what i meant um (laughs) but i think they 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 try they try to get into it a little too much and they end they can they can end up screwing things up because they're like oh you know the kids like roguelikes can you make this a roguelike or something Mm -hmm. like that or can you add multiplayer elements or something so if his contention is that he's going to offer a place for video game auteurs to sort of um you know bring to sort of bring their bring their small indie products to him and say i would like to make this exactly how i want to make this can you can you do that and he can be the one who's like yeah of course i'm not going to interfere you make exactly what you want to make I can see that being uh, being more of a mandate because that seems to be um, the, the games he cited as like the ones that he really enjoyed as the indie label, the indie games that he really enjoyed. That was kind of um, how they were made. They were made like with one mm-hmm. specific like develop with, with the development team's vision in mind. They were not interfered with too much. Right. So, I mean, if, if all he's offering here is like funding, cause I, I'm sure with, uh, 7 million subscribers on YouTube, whatever, like donkey's making money, Mm -hmm. right? Like he's got, he's got cash to burn. If he could just help them financially and with, um, exposure, cause that's another big thing that indies, even if they have like really good games, they struggle with just getting people to learn about Mm -hmm. them. Like those are two things that a publisher should do. Like that's the publisher's job is to give you exposure, like to market your game and to fund the project so that it can get made. So if he can't provide those things, great, right? Like that actually sounds like a good idea. It's just this idea of him wanting to be involved, even though he did he did state um, that he doesn't want any creative control. He did say he wanted to be involved in the process in order to help make it great. But I guess the details of exactly how he would be involved and how he would help are what's murky. Mm-hmm. And as someone who you know doesn't have a history of publishing games, it's easy to just to just default to, all right, well, he's he's not going to know what to do. He's going to be a, a hindrance or whatnot. But on the flip side, every everybody who's good at something has to suck at it at first, right? Like that that famous uh, Jake the Dog saying, the first, time, <laughs> the, first, the first step to being good at something is sucking <laughs> at it. So, like, yeah, like, I, I do root for him. Like, 
I, I don't want this to sound like pretentious, but I, I do think there is value to having a critical eye in the kitchen. Like even if they don't know kind of the ins and outs of how you get there, like at certain points, if you just show them, get them to like put hands on it, they can give you feedback because just like we all as writers, we spend so much time like, you know, maybe working on a script, you don't see a lot of the mistakes or you don't see some of the the content in there that's not coming across the way you want until a second pair of eyes can look at it. So, and, and sometimes that, that pair of eyes doesn't need to be, you know, a, a seasoned writer or a managing editor. It could be a significant other, someone who doesn't know anything. They, as long as you have different eyes on it, it will help you a tremendous amount. So I think something similar could apply in this case, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that he I, I have confidence that he's going to make he's going to try to make sure every game he puts out there is at its best. I will say that. I don't I think that that's that's the real goal and it's it's an admirable goal. And if that's but I, I'm just concerned that, you know, he's put itself out there like, oh, I know what makes a great game, so I'll only publish good games. Even if that's meant sardonically, I worry that because that's what he said if he puts a game out there that is perhaps not so good, it's going to be that game and its developers, in addition to Donkey, who are completely roasted by the internet. So it's like you're setting you're setting some pretty lofty expectations for some maybe uh, may, maybe inexperienced game developers because you know they mm. they have to carry the weight of expectations too because they're the ones actually making the games. Yeah, and kind of what you were saying, Casey, like this is something that I feel like sometimes I'm like, Oh, am I supposed to say this? But you know, as, as someone who makes things, boy, howdy. Yeah. It's helpful to have someone else come in and be like, this isn't working or you got some feature creep going on, or Mm. I know this is what you want. This is not what I'm getting out of it. Like you need someone to be critical and not just be, you know, just be a, a, an open bag of money for you. Now, if they're bad at it, at giving critical information, but they're willing to give you money, okay, that's fine. Like, you get their money from them, but then you better get that critical information from somewhere else. So, I'm maybe I need to, like, read up more on what he's doing, because I'm not entirely sure what he wants. If he's just a publisher, then, you know, give someone money, send it out. If he makes money, cool. I guess if that's what he wants to do with his money, his billions of YouTube dollars, sure. But yeah, like, what if it turns out to not be a good game? Like, what does happen then? Yeah, and and as we all know, opinion is subjective. Yeah, like a bunch of people will be like, "Oh, this is a good game," and an equal number of people could be like, "No, this is a bad Mm. game." Like, what is what does that then mean for the the fact that uh, for his discerning eye and for the developers who are working on this? And honestly. The internet can be a very spiteful place. No matter what comes out, you're probably going to get people who are like, oh, this, this is just shit, even if it's oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the perception, in a lot of cases, is what matters rather than the reality. Because as soon as the first message gets out, the second one has a much harder time, you know, co-opting it. Yeah, that's like on Reddit, the first mm-hmm. 10 seconds of a post determines the life of that post. If it's immediately hit with, with upvotes... If people will look at it. If the first comment is positive, way better chance that everything after it's going to be positive. 
First comment, it's negative. Bam. You're immediately in a hole that you're probably not going to get out of. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I'm, I don't see it as anything other than somebody who likes games wanting to be involved in in making games, whether or not, and that's well, yeah, and whether or not that you know his mandate or his view on things changes once he gets a peek behind the curtain. I, you know, I, I think he's already seen behind the curtain. To be honest, otherwise, I don't think I don't think this is something. Even if he wants to present it that way, I don't think this is something he's like. Hey, I know games. I can make good games. Leah, let's start a publishing label. I don't think that's how it went down. I think there was a. I, mm. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that a lot more thought went into it than that. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Going to get to a couple of the questions in chat or comments, I should say. Um, Lampy wondering, oh no, I'm sorry, King's Dead 42 wondering, would you be able to trust reviews of his own projects he worked on? Would he even review his own projects? Yeah, like I, I doubt he would review his own projects. Why? He did mention, which I did find interesting, that his current channel would probably stay the same. So like he'd be doing this kind of in addition to what he's already doing. And he does reviews on his channel still, mm-hmm. yes. So can you own a publisher making games and then review other people's games and then still be taken seriously? Hmm. Yeah, I'm good. I mean, that's just, that's again, that's a perception thing. Because like, I feel like as a critic, there's nothing that's going to make me become less of a critic. Like, because I, I, I value, like, my integrity in terms of just giving you my raw opinion without something else... Um, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? Controlling it? Influencing it? Influencing yeah. it, right. Thank you. So, and I, I would assume Donkey, who's been doing this for this long, feels the same way. Like, he knows that that's his brand. He gives his audience a, his unique perspective on things, and he wouldn't want to tarnish that for the sake of a new company, because his old company, which is YouTube, is what kind of has funded his life, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't see it. But the fact that the question was even asked by someone uh, in our chat that he's not King's Dead's not going to be the only person thinking that. True. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, why if his channel of 7 million subscribers is mostly there for like looking at new games and he's part of a publishing company, he made a publishing company, why wouldn't he use that to put that game in front of 7 million plus people? Like that if he doesn't do that I don't know what he's thinking. Kind of like, what's the right. point? Like, <laughs> like, like, why work with Dunkey, right? But I, it, it wouldn't probably be a review then, right? Like, it would just be ads. Yeah, exactly. Like it would, it would be a like, sponsor. Yeah, it would just ad. be commercial. Yeah. But not labeled as such. Probably. Maybe it would be. I don't know. Would it even be he, sponsored? I think he would have to. Yeah, like he, at that point, <laughs> he'd have to because that, he has a stake in the financial well-being of the thing. So he couldn't just review it and be like, oh, this was great. That came from... Big mode games, whatever. Go buy it. I mean, like, but that's not going to fly. Like, can't he? Like, is there actually something? No, I, no, I think there's actual. Him? Yes, I think yes. if that's what he, you have to disclose that. I don't. I think if that's what he was planning to do, he just wouldn't tell us that Big Mode Games was his company. He <laughs> could very easily. Other. He could very easily have concealed that, probably. But he wouldn't have to make a big announcement on his channel. I think if he intended to. Um, to, to mix his peas with his porridge in that way. I don't think he would have made a big splashy announcement being like, hey, I'm starting a game publisher. Big Mode Games is going to make the games that I approve. And then, meanwhile, a review of Big Mode Games' indie Project X or something like that. I think 
I, I think putting that video out there is like if so if people see Big Mode Games' latest title on his channel, they'll know, oh, this is Donkey's company that's making it. So that so I'm not sure I'm not sure does it even count as a sponsored ad if you are making an ad for something that you yourself publish? At that point, isn't it just marketing? Yeah, it's just yeah, it would just be marketing. So yeah, I guess it wouldn't need a sponsored tag. But it, I don't know, it, it couldn't be, it literally could not be called like a review, like some of his other content, because that would just be disingenuous. Like, I get it. Like, if people are on his channel, like they're following his stuff, and he posts like, hey, this is the latest big mode mm-hmm. game. That's just letting them know what it is so that they get the, the uh, you know, the the eyes on right. it. Right. But he couldn't, he couldn't give it a value judgment other than we made it and it, it has my approval. And then his approval is assumed to be that it's mm-hmm. good. Like, he couldn't just straight up say that, I suppose. Right. My concern would be more that, you know, what can you trust what he says when he's advertise when he's reviewing something that might have like a direct competitive, like be be directly competitive with a game he's making. Like suppose he's publishing right. a farming sim or something and the next Stardew Valley comes out and he reviews it. So, I mean, it, regardless of whether or not how, because I don't know Dunkey personally, so I can't like say this mm. like about him as a person, but can we trust him to review the that game Stardew Valley 2 fairly when he's got his own farming sim that he's trying to work on and publish. And, and that's the thing. Like it doesn't actually matter whether you can or not. Like even if you can trust him, the perception for a lot of other people would be that you can't. Yeah. So that that would be my concern personally. I'm also are his reviews actually called reviews? Cuz the few things I've seen from him and like he'll do a joking like <laughs> two out of five at the end but like i never thought of them as reviews i thought they were just jokey videos about a game that he talked yeah, I, I'm a, yeah about I, i've not actually seen like one of his has a joke quote review. unquote reviews yeah like i when i see five out of five or two out of five i don't think that's actually review i think it's a joke on reviews so, yeah it's not like on metacritic going like video game donkey give this game 2.5 right. out of five so i i feel like there's a a level of of protection from that like oh i'm not reviewing my own games i'm just doing the same thing i've always done yeah it's hard it's hard to refute that honestly no yeah because yeah because he's not necessarily doing a traditional review if that's what all his videos are like but i don't know because i'm not a, a donkey fan in that way that um I know what his comedy videos are versus his review video. I don't, I don't know if he has a more serious version of <laughs> of what he does or not. So uh, Lampy in chat says, but even if it's not a review, he can start reducing coverage of other people's games because they didn't use his publisher. Mm-hmm. Could? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's also an interesting point. Like, yeah, like, he, yeah, he could. Then it becomes. Because like, he has a vested interest in competing against other indies. Now. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, so it. He he becomes less as like, hey, he's bringing exposure to a lot of really cool indies. It becomes that as like, well, he didn't review this indie because, you know, it's not made by his publishing label. I don't think he'd do that with big AAA game reviews. But, I mean, people, mm. I, I mean, I came to him, I, I found Dunky by his reviews of AAA games, which I don't think he will ever stop playing, reviewing, because that that's not really, there's not really competition for it, between the indie space. They're almost like different worlds. Kind of. So I have no, I, I don't think he would stop being a critic of like AAA games. So there are a lot of people who will keep going to Dunkey's like, what does Dunkey think of the new, 
I don't know, uh, just the last one, like the new Xenoblade Chronicles, for example. So, mm-hmm. but the, but if he doesn't keep like bringing indie games up, then you know he does reduce the amount of exposure he's bringing to other indie games. And that'll be that'll be a shame if that happens. I don't want that to be an unintended consequence of him getting into the game publishing because now he's got a financial stake in all this. Is that is that the sound of a power vacuum opening for someone else to come in and do indie <laughs> game reviews? All right. There's a small YouTuber out there <laughs> with like 200 subscribers who's like, "Yes, my time is nigh." No, that, th- these are all very interesting points because because even in the case where he, even if you think of it insidiously, like okay, he's not going to pay attention to these guys because he has his own batch of indies to to publish and highlight. You could also make the argument that because it's a conflict of interest, he won't cover the other ones. So, so it's like it, maybe it is antithetical. Like maybe a critic shouldn't. <laughs> get into the games industry i mean not that they can't do it but like you gotta you gotta choose perhaps like maybe maybe you can't sit on the fence and do both yeah maybe mm. like maybe you can't i don't know i'm i'm not the arbiter of what's <laughs> right and wrong in the world uh i just find all this to be fascinating i'd be curious but to see that, what happens oh so go ahead yeah exactly yeah and it's a very interesting i, I want to see what they publish and, and i am i think exactly what you're mentioning earlier i think it was rachel I have trouble remembering who says what, but yeah, perception. (laughs) Like when I'm curious how people are going to take this and like how that might change him dropping out of publishing or pivoting away from YouTube and going straight into publishing and being like, Hey, that was my old job. This is my new job. You know, it was fun while it lasted. It's not outside the realm of possibility for people who like start in like, games you know writing about games because we all start as video game fans i think in this industry most of us do and then you know to start as somebody who loves video games talks about video games all the time gets paid to talk about video games making video games i'm just not sure if that step should all be mixed up so like if i started a video game development company tomorrow it would definitely change everyone's perception as me of me as like person who writes about the video game industry for a living like that would i would forever have to put that as an asterisk at the bottom of my articles it's like oh by the way i have a financial stake and i have well more of a direct financial stake in this industry than i did before Mm -hmm. it's true legally when i say D &D has a problem i have to then quickly say also i write (laughs) rpgs right just just to 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 maintain your integrity Mm -hmm. yeah right because as critics, that's important. Publishers, I don't know how important that is. Fair, yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Maybe again, this could be this could be a good thing. Maybe a publisher who has a critic who has you know the integrity of a video game critic, a good video game critic. Maybe that's some that maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we should see more of that. I don't know. I cannot wait to see what this turns out to be. I'm that's how I feel. Bro, more publishers. Like, I think more more avenues for people to take is a good thing. Absolutely. Right. So with that, um, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's show. Thanks everybody in chat for listening. Rachel, why don't you let folks know where they can find you and what you have coming? Uh, You can find me at Rachel Kayser on Twitter up there. And also since I've apparently started streaming again, um, you can find me on Twitch at Grace of Athena. 
And but just follow my Twitter. Everything goes through my Twitter. Um, you can find my writing at uh, venturebeat.com slash gamesbeat. Um, well, it's slash games, but you can find me at gamesbeat. But um, you can find my, my writing there. And yeah, every, just follow me on Twitter. Everything goes through Twitter. Nice. Uh, Jesse, how about you? I also find me on Twitter, which is RexconJesse, and that's also my Twitch channel. And I'll be streaming on my channel tomorrow. I'll actually be streaming with the Amy doing Slime Rancher 2 on The Escapist today. <laughs> Yay! I'm looking forward to it. I've heard such good things about Slime Rancher, so I'm actually really excited to see this one. I'll have um, to watch. Yeah. Uh, and then Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jesse Galena. That's how I make some money, so there we go. Plug, plug. All the plugs, guys. <laughs> uh, you can also find me at Sigma Gears Nine here on Twitch, as well as Twitter. Um, later today on the Open Party Channel, Super Smash Sunday at two thirty PM Eastern Standard Time. Um, and you know, normally doing escape streams and whatnot. Uh, Get Jesse to the Greek is going to be starting <laughs> not this week Wednesday, but the following week Wednesday, yeah. right? uh, October fifth. Yes, fifth October fifth. Uh, so get ready for that nonsense, because that's going to be a whole lot of fun. <laughs> so excited. Um, but outside of that, uh, thanks to our two guests today. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks to everybody in chat. Uh, we'd love to have you around. We will see you later in the day. Um, it looks like Honey Money's uh, just started up a oh, stream. Sweet. So how about we raid oh, her? Oh. Tell her hi from the, the Sigma show. Thank you, everyone.